Hey guys, welcome back to A Bite of D&D, the podcast that adds flavor to your games and campaign. I am your host, Zach, and sitting across the internet from me is my co-host, Micah. Hey guys. And today, we are going to dive into our final class. We have now covered at least one archetype from every class. We are going to talk about a druid. That's right. It only took us nearly a year to get through every single class, but we have done it. Druid is our our last one. We didn't save the best for last, but we didn't save the worst for last either. I, I think we'll have a pretty good discussion on this one. Yeah, and I'm excited. We're going to talk about the Circle of the Shepherd today, and I think that it's an interesting archetype. There's probably more interesting ones. The new Circle of the Spores is kind of a unique bird, but I think this one has some unique opportunities for play. Well, and depending on your game, like I like Unearthed Arcana stuff, but Circle of the Spores is still Unearthed Arcana, so you may not be able to access it in every situation, whereas Shepherd is in Xanathar, so it is always a viable option for you in your game. So I'll be straight up with everyone. I have never played a 5e Druid. Honestly, if you've played a caster, a lot of casters can be flavored either way, but I like Druids. I like them quite a bit. And I think these guys have a pretty unique take that the other druids are missing. Well, and I've definitely ran for plenty of druids. There's lots of my players have been a druid. So I I have an understanding for how they work. I just don't know, for me, how they feel in play. So I am going to be more of an observation role and not an experience role in in this episode. So I've only actually played a moon druid so my initial observations on this guy is one i think thematically it's it's great i like it a lot i don't think necessarily mechanically it's fantastic but i i think overall it looks fun to play take circle of the land for instance where you're basically just a wizard with nature magic and you can turn into some weak animals that's not a super fair way to look at it but at the the core of it, honestly, that's pretty much what you are. You're a caster that has nature spells, and you can turn into an animal. Moon Druid is a little bit more of a unique flavor where you get the buffed-up creature, the beast shapes, the elemental shapes and stuff. You're still a full caster. You don't get the bonus spells from land, but maybe a little bit more unique. I do believe it's the more popular one. And as far as like a class identity, I think this next to Moon Druid probably hits that the best. And again, it may not be the best mechanically, but in my opinion, from the role play, the class fantasy of it, I think this is probably the second best druid archetype in the game. Mm. I do think that it has a lot of unique flavor to bring to the table, and I think that all of its abilities, for the most part, stick right to the what it's go, trying to go for as far as what type of character this is do you kind of want to get into those abilities and and give those a shot yeah let's go ahead and dive in they at level two get access to the ability to speak read and write sylvan and then that's tied into their speech of the woods so these druids can understand beasts and beasts can understand them in turn. They are able to decipher the noises and motions. And while the beasts can't necessarily understand or convey to you super sophisticated concepts, they can do basic communication. I, I in my opinion, things like scouting, sending messages, asking them to 
help you attack something. I mean, they, you could go all over the place with this. It's a pretty flexible ability, even without the ability to do complicated messages. Kind of, This kind of hits home with the speech of Beast and Leaf that the Furbolgs have. Tritons have a similar ability when talking to underwater creatures, but neither one of the other two that we just mentioned can communicate in return. You can convey messages to them, but you can't necessarily understand them in return. And you can actually understand, to some degree, the beasts that you communicate with with this ability, which gives it a lot more flexibility in roleplay situations and even in sometimes your mechanical, your combat situations as well. Yeah, and the beauty of it is also that it's not an expended resource. So you can do this as many times per day, as often as you want, which in my book means that your druid has just become an extremely useful party member anytime you're outdoors. This is 100% somebody who can act. I mean, he doesn't even have to have, like, you know, a ranger or somebody like that that's going to be leading the party that has a good survival check. All of a sudden, this guy is the best scout, the best leader through the wilderness of anyone because he has a thousand creatures at his beck and call. And that is further exemplified as we kind of dive into the rest of this. So the other thing they get at level two is their spirit totem, which thematically, in my opinion, this is the weakest of the lot, but only based on the name. So there are three different spirits that you can summon with this ability. You've got the bear spirit, the hawk spirit, and the unicorn spirit, and they all kind of provide some unique benefits. The bear is going to give you some temporary hit points for anyone within the uh, aura, and then it's going to give advantage on strength saves and checks for everyone in that aura. I think that that is generally pretty handy, especially at lower levels. The fact that it's 5 plus your druid level means that it's going to scale slowly. Super powerful at 2nd level. At 10th level, not so powerful. And at 15th level, probably forgettable as an ability. With Unicorn Spirit, your allies gain advantage on all ability checks made to detect creatures in the spirit's aura. Situationally great, but not very often is that going to be the thing that you need the most. And then it says, in addition, if you cast a spell with a spell slot that restores hit points to anyone in or outside of this aura, each creature of your choice in the aura also regains hit points. So that one is handy in that especially if everybody's in a tight space inside the 60-foot area. Every time you cast a healing spell at all, you're healing up. You know, if you're a 10th-level druid, you're healing 10 hit points to maybe if you're a party of 5, you're healing 40 hit points total to everybody. That's that's pretty, that's pretty handy. Which is okay uh, if you did like a prayer of healing, which is your AoE heal. It's not necessarily huge, but your D4 plus whatever, right? And then you add on your druid healing again that's a decent little buff again especially at early levels where that's going to be a much higher percentage of your health i do think bear spirit winds up scaling better funnily enough so like with bear spirit it's five plus your druid level whereas with unicorns it's just your druid level the other benefit of bear spirit because it's temporary hit points it can stack over your hit point maximum so if someone's already capped out, you can't heal them any additional, but with Bear Spirit, they can get those temporary hit points. So neither one of them scales great. Both are super useful at early levels. Both are situationally useful after that. The, but the, I think Bear Spirit edges out just a little bit because of it using temporary hit points instead of standard healing. 
Sure. And then the last thing here is the last totem is the hawk spirit, which I think is the one that is going to be with you for the long haul. So with that one, if a creature makes an attack roll inside the aura, you can use your reaction to grant advantage on that attack roll. So you basically are going to be handing out advantage once per round as a reaction to somebody for free. And I think that that's a pretty nice little... And, I mean, advantage is advantage. I mean, it's still something that you seek after at high levels. So I think well, that that's handy. The other nice thing is that druids don't get a ton of reactions. So while this isn't maybe the strongest ability, the fact that it opens up reactions to druids, it is something like advantage. While it may not be the most exciting thing ever, it does allow you to give your heavy hitters another opportunity to connect, another opportunity to crit. I mean, there's always that 5% chance, 10% chance, potentially, if they're a, a fighter or something, to get that crit. And so advantage is always a nice thing to hand out at any point in the game. Well, and let me, um, let me pitch something to you, because it just says, when a creature makes an attack roll against a creature... Against a target in the spirit's aura, you can use your reaction to grant advantage. This is an awesome ability to just give your rogue advantage on every single one of its attacks or on its opening attacks. Every well, then round. it never needs an ally within exactly. five feet or anything because it just automatically gets its sneak attack because it has advantage. Exactly. So he can t more call targets a little bit easier, more selective to what he wants, not what's around an ally. That, I feel like, is handy. It also is going to be handy with a barbarian so that they don't have to reckless attack every time if they don't want to, that they can get their advantage on their attack rolls irregardless just by, just by you dishing it out. So if you have a rogue or you have a barbarian that reaps a lot of benefit from an attack at advantage every round, turning this on and you being their kind of support is going to work out just great. So the other thing I want to hit on with this ability is these are all creatures that work on land. If you're in another climate, like underwater, or maybe in a tundra, these don't always apply. And I really want to focus on the underwater aspect, because you can make a case that because these are spirits, they work in a mountain range just fine. But I really like the idea of flavoring these for the environment that they're in. Not changing the mechanics, but just giving them a different spirit animal to go with that. And I think the most obvious one is instead of a unicorn and you're underwater, give them a narwhal. A narwhal's already the unicorn of the sea. Just toss that in there. Change the flavor a little bit. You don't want to drown your unicorn, buddy. That's just cruel and unusual. Throw in a narwhal. Makes it a little bit more fun. Makes it make a little bit more sense. Uh, we were talking a little bit before this, and I think... Baron Hawk could go a few different ways, but I like the idea of a shark for the Hawk, specifically because of the mechanics attached to it, giving advantage on an attack roll. I think a shark that typically has pack tactics, I think, in the uh, Monster Manual and stuff makes pretty good sense there as far as passing out advantage. Yeah, it's, um, you know, as far as if it was in my game, I would say, hey, Druid player, pick what those three animals are. I don't care what they are. You decide. You're not changing the mechanics, but I want you to... This is an opportunity for you to have some flavor. And who cares? I don't care if they m make them three little critters and it's like, oh, this is a chipmunk and this is a squirrel and this is a barn owl. Okay, that's fine. I don't care. If it makes sense for you, it's just a nice way of letting you take the reins a little bit. 
they all have little bubbles over their head to show that they can get along underwater just fine. Yeah, yeah, they're fine. Okay, well, do you want to move on to the sixth level? Yeah, so this one, and I think this is a common theme with a lot of the stuff that these guys get, but sixth level, they buff up the creature's that they summon through spells. So for every hit die that that creature has, they gain an additional two hit points, which is pretty useful. Gives them a little bit more meat on their bones to absorb some hits for you. And then damage from their natural weapons are considered magical for overcoming immunity and resistance to non-magical attacks and damage. That's pretty uh, standard. I mean, That's pretty standard. Most classes get the magical weapon at, at that at sixth level. That's about all. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say as far as this ability goes. What I would say is mechanically, at early levels, when you first get this, it's probably pretty decent. It's going to fall off pretty quick. If you're summoning the quarter CR, the half CR, even the one CR, none of them have a ton of hit die. That extra two per hit die is not going to save them from a fireball, from a dragon breath, whatever. They're probably going to be dead regardless. At CR2, they do get a little bit more for their money. It's still usually only like eight hit points. And again, it's just not going to scale super well. It's good early on. It falls off later, but it fits the theme of they are summoners. They benefit. They get buffs to their summons. If you really wanted to stretch it as a DM, maybe I would allow them to scale that hit point increase with level a little bit more instead of just being a flat two. I don't think it's ever going to be great, but it might be just enough that it actually does something. I would agree. Let's see. Guardian Spirit, 10th level ability. When a beast or fae that you summon uh, or created with a spell ends its turn in your spirit totem aura, that creature regains a number of hit points equal to half your druid level. So at that point, you're regaining five hit points. It's a summoned creature. So, I mean, it's kind of like the Mighty Summoner and what we just talked about early on. I mean, even at 10th level getting five hit points back i mean if you summon a lot of creatures i guess that helps but as regaining five hit points are not temporary hit points so they don't stack so those quarter cr creatures they're still not really well, getting if you, beefy if you summon a quarter cr creature it's probably dead regardless but if you're summoning like a cr2 brown bear or uh actually i think yeah, I think brown bears are CR2. They might be CR1. I think polar bear would be CR2. But if you're summoning something like that, it could beef it up just enough, heal it just enough, that sticks around a little bit longer, takes one or two more hits for you. It's okay. But again, I think at higher levels, a lot of times your beasts are just going to be dead. They're not going to be around long enough to heal. So to me, this feels like a little bit more of a ribbon ability. It can be useful. It's going to be situational. But most of the time, I feel like your creatures are, are just going to be dead. When you have access to summon Fae as opposed to summon Beast, that can change a little bit. But ultimately, I think it, it plays out the same. Yeah. Well, so the last ability here, Faithful Summons, this one is a little bit strange. Um, and there's a lot of text. So give us a breakdown of what Faithful Summons does at 14th level. So, yeah, Faithful Summons is definitely a mouthful. So I'm going to break down this ability, and then I'm going to discuss what I think they are intending, both by Raw, which it covers, and uh, Rules as Intended. But this is their 14th level ability. When you're incapacitated, when you get knocked down to zero hit points, you immediately gain the benefits of Conjure Animals cast at ninth 
level. So max level conjure animals, you gain guardians. It summons four beasts of your choice that are challenge rating two or lower. The conjured beasts appear within 20 feet of you. If they receive no commands from you, which they most likely won't because you're incapacitated, they protect you from harm and attack your foes. It lasts for an hour, requiring no concentration, again, because you're unconscious, you can't really concentrate on it, or until you dismiss it, no action required. The reason this one is kind of weird is because it specifies that it casts it as if it were ninth level. At ninth level, it allows you to summon four times the amount of creatures that you would normally be able to summon. But then the very next sentence specifies that you summon four beasts. So normally at ninth level, you'd be able to summon 32 quarter CR creatures, 16 half CR creatures, eight CR1 creatures, or four CR2 creatures. I think they worded it along with conjure animals because they want to force you to follow the rules of the conjure animal spells as far as what you're allowed to summon. It's still the DM's job to decide what creatures are available to summon. Like it still wants you to follow the rules of the spell as far as what's available to you. But really, you're just going to be summoning four CR2 creatures. There's almost no reason to summon anything else. Maybe there's a situation where you want a giant spider or something to web something up. I don't know. Maybe there's some tactical decisions that you would want to make there. Maybe there's some places that changes. But I do think it specifically limits you to four. I don't believe you get the option of 32 quarter CR creatures. And I think they did that specifically not to make it too strong. Because honestly, the Conjure spells are some of the best scaling and strongest spells in the game for the spell slot that they are attributed to. And speaking of spell slots, this is just simply an extra spell slot for Conjure animals that you get when you go down. Now, my question would be, and I, I need to, I guess, go back and stare at this for a second. Yeah. Okay, so you can use it once per long rest. Uh, that, okay, that's what I was looking for. You can use it once per long rest. So if you are a druid and you are running low on spell slots and you've or you've ran out of spell slots and you've ran out of anything helpful, this is in a way this is a way to allow you to do a bit more damage quickly if you need to. If you can drop yourself <laughs> or if you can get yourself dropped, you could at least do this. But but that that long rest requirement keeps you from being able to just do this on repeat by bringing yourself back up from death and dropping back down again so so that that really covers the abilities we've kind of hit on a bit of the flavor there's a couple play styles in particular though that i think this lends itself to i think as npcs it might be a little bit more fun for a dm to run but i think even as a player you can definitely craft kind of a a fun background an interesting character around this summoner concept because in my mind these guys are like druids are already kind of hermits and these druids are hermits by druid standards. Like they're the ones that go off alone and they summon their, their beasts as their friends. They talk to the the beasts of the woods for their, their compatriots. They don't necessarily commune within a tight circle of druids. They kind of just do their own thing. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And I think these guys, we kind of touched on it earlier, but I think they would transition in a war effort or in an effort to push creatures destroying their woods or abusing their tenants. I think they transition to some of the best 
scouts in the game because they can communicate with beasts and because they have those benefits to their summoning of creatures. If you summon eight wolves, 16 wolves, 32 wolves, something like that, and you just send them off in all directions, you can scout a huge amount of ground and have them come back report to you. They can't understand basic, like complicated concepts, but find out where the bad guys are really isn't a complicated concept. We can do that with dogs and we don't even speak dog. So I think they'd make excellent scouts. Zach, you mentioned how they would make great messengers. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's multiple druids in across a forest, I mean, they can relay a message way faster than... I mean, obviously there's, there's spells that can send messages, but without using a resource, these guys can send messages extremely quickly via bird, via, via beast, one to another... And uh, that should work just fine. So, as again, that's an NPC thing, but I still think it works as far as that goes. The other thing that I think that these guys would be fun as as a PC would be if you have if you're a player who likes to play pacifist characters. This is a very this is a class that lends it toward lends itself towards that heavily because you're conjuring a lot of animals. You've got the totems. And then druids can pick up a lot of buff and debuff spells, basically. I mean, the battlefield can... control options. Right, exactly. They can they can do their job at, in a combat without ever having to fire a bow or swing a sword themselves. And while some of you may argue, but you're summoning beasts that attack, that's not very pacifistic. Here's my argument. You summon them to defend your friends. You're not summoning them to attack. You're not summoning them to ravage. They're there as bodyguards. What your friends get into, that's their own business. Well, and you could even, I mean, I feel like there's the the nature is the law of tooth and claw, right? And even if you feel like you're not necessarily a part of that, most druids will allow nature to take its course. And if you summon these wolves to this area and they attack the enemy, that is nature establishing a hierarchy. And I think it's, I think a lot of, druids aren't pacifist and i think but i do also think that druids often have a weird way of thinking and they have a weird way of seeing the world and giving rationalizations or giving uh uh, excuses for things so just because it doesn't make sense to us doesn't mean that to their make sense to them (laughs) exactly Exactly. well and and i think it works for the nate the druid class and i think it works just to our own mentalities as players, because I do see a lot of people when they want to play a healer, if we're going to use, since MMOs have kind of bled into the game at this point, everyone wants a tank, everyone wants a healer. A lot of people like the idea of a pacifist healer. And this is just maybe a little bit different way of doing that than just being a heal bot. You got some cool summons, you've got battlefield control. I mean, you could even summon the the giant snakes or whatever that constrict and, and bind opponents instead of outright attacking them. There's a lot of, avenues you can go with the beasts at your disposal work with your dm on that because ultimately they do have say but i do think it highlights one of some of the coolest spells in the game as far as uh, a class goes and as far as a theme goes i think so well i i think that's all we've got as far as these guys as always feel free to holler at us let us know what you think on twitter on facebook we're at a bite of dnd leave us a, a review on itunes good bad any of your thoughts let us know always helps us kind of adapt and grow as we go yep 
I appreciate anything except the bad reviews. Feel free <laughs> to leave those. I don't I don't agree with Micah. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Um, and we will catch you next week. See you guys. Mm-hmm.